Hello and welcome to Able Medics, a podcast from the General Medical Council. I'm Tanita Cross, producer of this series and the GMC's Digital Content Officer. We've just published updated guidance for educators on how to support disabled people to become doctors during their time at medical school and in the workplace. To help us draft the guidance, we spoke to lots of disabled medical students and doctors, and we want you to hear their voices and stories too. All views shared in this series are personal and do not reflect the views of the GMC. You can visit gmc-uk.org forward slash medics to find out more about our guidance, which is called Welcomed and Valued. And if you want to share your story or give us feedback on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at GMCUK and please use the hashtag AbleMedics. Hi, I'm Ioana Marecki and I'm an Education Policy Manager here at the GMC. I've led our Health and Disability Review and it's made me passionate about making sure medicine is an accessible and inclusive profession. Last time on Able Medics, we celebrated the valuable contribution that disabled doctors already make to our health services. Today, in episode two of the series, we're talking about how disability is viewed by others, including patients, colleagues, and educators, and what impact that has on doctors who have their own health needs. In the last episode, we ended with Professor Kate Thomas from the University of Birmingham. One of the things that I really feel is I'm a better doctor for having been ill and a better doctor for knowing what it is to be depressed. Dr. Kelly Lockwood and Dr. Hannah Barron-Brown, who both have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, told us the stories about how their condition helps them connect with patients. Because of my anaesthetic experience, I see an awful lot of patients with chronic pain as a GP. Um, And I've got the advantage that I haven't got any longer. I haven't got a hidden disability. Mm -hmm. I I don't feel like I'm disclosing something to patients that is a complete shock to them, that's inappropriate, etc., etc. They can see I'm in a wheelchair. They know I'm disabled. Um, So sometimes if people really are struggling with pain relief and side effects, etc., and they do sometimes feel like, you know, you as the doctor... You just prescribe something and or it doesn't really matter to you if that's going to make them feel ill for three days because that's not your problem. It's them that having to go through that. And sometimes I do say to patients, look, I've lived and I live with daily pain and I know what it's like. Yeah, and I am going to do the best that I possibly can to make sure that, you know, we do the best for you. Um, and just that patient having that faith in you and they, they almost feel then like they can have that confidence and trust in you because you know how horrible it is and you're not going to let them suffer that if you, if there's a way of making it better for them. Um, so I do sometimes disclose things like that to patients um, and I think that actually goes an awful long way to building that rapport and that relationship and that trust. The other day there was a kid in a corridor in a wheelchair and, um, and I'd kind of seen him in a waiting area earlier and he didn't stop looking at me. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of like waved back and my wheelchair has light up front wheels that wow. light up in different colours whenever I move um, and so later on he was kind of rolling down a corridor and I caught up with him and me and him had a race down the oh. corridor <laughs> 
and he got really excited by my front wheels and he had amazing spoke covers with tigers on them so yeah we had a great time and his mum was just like thank you so much it's so lovely for him to see somebody in a wheelchair working and doing stuff and having a great life and and I think that's the key thing actually that's why I get so passionate about us as physicians reflecting our patients because I think that really helps everybody um it's so important and so yeah there's a lot of joy in being a disabled doctor sometimes even if it doesn't always feel like it. Dr Susu Kumaran works mainly with children in her 20s when she was training in pediatrics Sue had a stroke. She developed weakness on one side of her body and lost the use of one arm. With the right support, Sue was able to continue her medical training by switching to psychiatry. She has now been a consultant child psychiatrist for 20 years and is struck by how her disability can help parents of the children she works with open up to her. In my job, I deal with children and families, so a number of inspirational parents I've met who've themselves got themselves got chronic illness or disabilities and have been struggling with parenting these children with either mental health or additional problems and how they keep going and going and fighting and battling obviously to get help for their children and to ensure they have a place in school get housing you know all sorts of very very basic things that the rest of us often take for granted, and how they felt um, often would feel they could make a connection with me because I had a disability, and they thought, well, you you know a little bit about the system, and so they would open up and uh, perhaps be more open with me and Frank and uh, talk about their own depression or struggles, which often I think they didn't feel safe doing with other professionals that they saw that saw their children. So that kind of openness and trust you get from <clears throat> some people and some families when um, you, you have a disability yourself, I think, is, is really special. Sometimes, though, patients can get thrown off by seeing a doctor with a visible disability. Here's GP Kelly Lockwood again. Yeah, I've had, um, I've had patients kind of when I call them into my room we have an electronic board usually that we call them into. So the first time they actually lay eyes on you is when they walk into your consultation room. And I've had people stop at my door and double take and ask me, oh, sorry, have I got the wrong room? No. Oh, are you Dr. Lockwood? Yeah, and you can you can see the kind of thought processes that are going on there. Um, but normally when they realise and... and you kind of they stand there for a couple of seconds and, and they have actually have that realization of oh okay it's a doctor in a wheelchair oh that must be okay then yeah all right I'll, I'll go in <laughs> I think luckily that's kind of that's as far as it's got I've had, I've had some comedy moments where I've had patients sit down with a very puzzled look on their face and say to me you're in a wheelchair and the temptation has always got to be to say oh gosh am I <laughs> but, but I do tend to be doing that Generally, people are really positive. You'll get a few people who just don't really know what to make of you, so they'll automatically assume you're a patient, um, and so you can get some funny looks when you're suddenly putting a stethoscope on and grabbing patient notes and doing the job of a doctor. But on the whole, patients and staff are all really positive towards me. Sadly, disabled doctors and medical students and those with health needs don't always feel fully accepted into the profession by their medical colleagues. 
Here's Professor Kate Thomas again. I think um, there is undoubtedly, and I, I feel that this is sad to say about a profession that spends its time dealing with people with all sorts of disabilities and health problems, but I think that there are still doctors who say, oh, well, you can't be a doctor if you've got dyslexia. I mean, how would you prescribe safely? Or, you know, you can't be a doctor if. And and I think that is a barrier that um, sometimes is really difficult for students because they will come across someone who is just very resistant and negative and instead of saying okay how can I help you um, they're just very defensive about it. I was working in an A&E department which I loved it was a fantastic job and at about two in the morning um, this guy walked past me in the unit never seen him before but was clearly a member of staff looked at me <coughs> <laughs> looked at me in my chair and said um, like should you even be at work are you all right and just carried on walking. And and normally I'm really like, I'm water off ducks back with everything, particularly in an A&E department where people come in drunk, they'll say stupid things, like you kind of expect it, but you don't expect it from a colleague. And I just burst into tears in the middle of the shop floor because I was just so taken aback and so completely thrown. And I'd been having a great shift. I was really enjoying my job. I was on top of the world and suddenly somebody just said something and questioned my entire existence as a doctor. And it just hit me so hard. Well, I, I think the, st the stigmas around about around declaring health issues are still there in medicine. You know, and I can remember it at the start of my career where you were expected just to soldier on under the very difficult circumstances. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of people who still have that attitude. Hopefully, as as, as the years go by, uh, that will change. Dr. Mike Masting is the Foundation School Director in Wessex and the chair of the UK Foundation School Directors Committee. He's been involved in medical education since he became a consultant in 2003. I also spoke to Professor Andy Grant, Chair in Clinical Education at Swansea University, about where this stigma comes from. Andy's a GP and has a major research interest in the mental health of medical students and doctors in training. I think that there are some, some uh, um, rather judgmental attitudes that, that people with um, uh, mental health problems may not to be able to practice as a doctor or may only be able to practice in a limited way and this seems to be a subliminal message that gets out there to junior doctors and students very easily and is very hard to counter. They, 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 it, this is a, a strongly held uh, view amongst medical students and junior doctors. Where does this view that people with health problems can't be doctors come from? Sometimes that pressure can come from medical students and doctors themselves. I think sometimes there's, a, there's the personal issue of sort of admitting to yourself that you're perhaps not as, as um, perfect as one might be. Uh, I think doctors are very high achievers and these guys who come from medical school, um, you know, have done exceptionally well to get into medical school. They've done exceptionally well to get through medical school. They've achieved a lot. They've generally succeeded. Um, and then uh, it may be quite hard to admit to oneself that you know you're not working at 100 percent, you're not feeling so great. Um, so sometimes it's about getting people to be a bit more self-aware um, that they can, uh, you know, that, 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 that it's all right to say I'm not very well. It's all right to say 
I have a disability. I think sometimes the barriers are within individuals. Um, I think that for a lot of students, they they never see anyone senior to them, or they very rarely see them acknowledging that they've had any difficulties or faced any challenges or barriers themselves. So they tend to think, well, it must just be me. Everyone else must be able to do it. And they feel inhibited, I think, about being open and worried. They worry about um, asking for things or even just saying, actually, I need help. And and I think that when when we're talking to students, one of the things we try to say is, you know, you're not alone. There will be lots of people who've faced what you have. Those who have mild or moderate mental health problems will usually keep it to themselves, discuss it with their families and their friends, discuss it with their GP, but won't discuss it with anybody at work. And as long as they're, they're, they're able to do their job, there's no reason why they shouldn't do that. They don't have to disclose their illness. But we do want people not to feel that they have something they can't discuss, they can't open up about. If a trainee doctor does open up about their disability or health condition, what reaction can they expect? Here's Foundation School Director Mike Masting's experience. People are very sympathetic and will will try and offer a lot of help um, and will try and listen um, and, and accept that they, they have an illness and it needs sorting out. Um, my experience is that trainees are often very surprised um, and, and, and a comment we have a lot from our professional support unit um, is that trainees wish they'd been referred earlier, uh, wish they'd got involved earlier. Um, because they realised how, how supportive it was and, and how helpful people would be. And I would just encourage anyone, any doctor at all who's, who's ill or, or has a disability or whatever, uh, just to talk to their colleagues and, and whoever's running their training about it. And you, most of the time, I can't promise all the time, but most of the time I'm sure you'd have a sympathetic ear and people would try and help you. Join us next time when we'll talk to doctors and educators about how to approach and access reasonable adjustments and why flexibility is vital for disabled doctors. In the meantime, please tweet your feedback on this episode at GMC UK and visit gmc-uk.org forward slash ablemedics to find out more about our welcomed and valued guidance and to read more stories like these. Thank you for listening. Able Medics is a podcast by the General Medical Council. It was hosted by our Education Policy Manager, Joanna Maraki, and it was produced by me, Tanita Cross. Thanks to Nick Drew, Laurie McManus, and Steph O'Connor from the GMC for their support. And thanks to our guests, Kate Thomas, Hannah Byron-Brown, Kelly Lockwood, Sue Sukumaran, Mike Masding, and Andy Grant. Music